there was a moment, a moment in time when there was nothing and then God spoke. And when God spoke, nothing became something. There was a moment when there was darkness, only darkness. And God said, let there be light. And his words reverberated through every part of creation. And light shone in the darkness where it had not been before. There was a very real moment in time when the very first thing that we know as light, waves of light, reached from the sun all the way down to warm the surface of planet Earth. At the same time, those waves of light stretched out across the heavens to bring light to the darkness. There was a moment in time when there was no humanity. But God took dirt from the ground and he formed it into the shape of a man and from the ground created a body. And then in a moment in time, he breathed life into the nostrils of the first man and the lungs expanded. And the heart began to beat. And blood for the first time flowed through his veins. Synapses began to fire across the brain. And eyes were opened. And the first man, the first Adam, was alive. Thousands of years. Billions of sins. Millions of deaths later, a body without breath again is in the earth. On Friday, the sixth day, the day that the first Adam was given life, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, suffered on a cross and died. He was buried in the ground as we were taken from dust, and so to dust we must return. And on the seventh day, he rested. Then as dark began to wane and the light began to shine again on a new day, the sun beaming down, warming the earth, lighting up the skies. God reaches down to a body in the ground and breathes breathes life and the lungs expand and the heart pumps and the blood flows and the synapses fire and the eyes open and the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ is alive with the first day of the week, the first man of the new humanity. God has begun new creation. There is life from the dead. My friends, the resurrection in a real moment, in real time, has changed everything. All that we thought sin had taken from us, all that we thought we had lost, 
that could never be recovered. The resurrection speaks hope. Hope that life and joy are real. Not real conceptually, but really real, more actual, more touchable, more permanent than anything we have ever conceived of. When I say joy, I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking not about the things that we have, not about the things that we've longed for in this life and received, the mere shadows. I'm, I'm not talking about the food or the music or the friends or the lover, the things that we have longed for that have brought us the thing that we've called joy in this life. I'm not talking just about the, that scent that passes you just in a moment on a spring breeze. I'm not topic, talking about the, the sweeping, magnificent horizons of the Grand Canyon. I'm not talking about the sunset with colors, colors beyond words that we can't describe. I'm talking about something more real. Something more real than the bride at the back of the church and the feeling that you get when you see her dressed in white and know that she's for you. More real than the tiny hand of your grandchild resting in yours. More real than knowing that there is peace and prosperity for your loved ones back home for whom you've been praying. Though all these things testify to it, I'm talking about the things that you have really desired. The things that you have longed for. That you're afraid to even begin to articulate because you feel that even articulating it will do it violence. The thing that we're embarrassed to admit that we all share in common, a longing for life beyond this earth, for something more. And, and yet it, it feels still so private and so personal. The aching for more that's, that's testified to, or is it parodied, in all the experiences of joy and pleasure in this life. You know the experience of waking from a dream and not even remembering what it was in the dream, but knowing in the dream there was something. But then you wake and it's gone. The resurrection says that, the ache, the longing, is the real thing. It's a testimony from beyond death, a testimony from beyond the grave, from beyond what any of us have experienced. It bears witness that the beauty, all the sweetness, all the majesty, all the stillness, all the truth that we know in this world will be real. One day, in a world without sin, without death, where nothing fades, where nothing is taken, where nothing comes to an end, the resurrection changes everything. 
forever. But it also changes everything for now. It cannot be that this would be true about the higher without it somehow impacting the lower. The reality that I am married does not merely change the experience of my intimate moments in my bedroom, it changes how I behave on the bus and in the boardroom and in the everyday mundane realities of my life. The higher, more transcendent truth must impact the lower and the tangible. If the resurrection is real, if there's life beyond the grave, that must change the way we live now on this earth. My friends, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. What do we do with that? When we walk out of here this morning, we have a hope that's fixed for eternity, but what do we do with it right now? What do we do with the resurrection? Here's the first thing we do with it, and it's simple. We glory. We glory in the power of God. Glory in the power of God. What I mean by that is this whole thing for you young folks in the crowd, this whole thing, the way the narrative is constructed, it's a flex. It's just like, God is just like, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. It's awesome. Look at, look at, look at the way it's described. Verse 62. The next day, that is the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And they said, sir, we remember how that imposter said, and they, they talk about his words. And that's, that's telling, right? They don't remember because they believe the words. They, they don't remember because they're moved by Jesus. Jesus is inside their heads. That's what this is. Have you, ever, have you ever had someone in your life like that, and they drive you nuts, and they just they get, in, they get under your skin, they get inside your head? Jesus is in their heads. He has spoken truth that is irrefutable, and they're just like, oh, what now, what now? They've already put him in the grave, and he's still in their heads. I love it. He's got inside them. They can't move on. So here's what they do. They make all these plans that actually are just amassing evidence for the resurrection. But they want to try to prove that this imposter, uh, the word is uh, deceiver, this liar, which is ironic, right? You know the whole story. You, you know that they've conspired against Jesus and that he was innocent and that they set the whole thing up and that they paid someone to betray him and that they know that the witnesses were false. Like they know all this, but they're turning against Jesus and saying he's the deceiver. The hypocrisy is rank. But look at, look at what they do. So they said, this deceiver said while he was still alive after three days, I'll rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead. And the last deception, the last fraud will be worse than the first. So they, they, they don't want, they don't want Jesus to be stolen and then to have to talk about how the disciples stole the body. They don't want that. So that's why they set the whole thing up. Okay. That's just important to, to keep in mind. And they've gone to Pilate. Pilate's the governor. He's supposed to be the one with all the power. So the leaders of the Jewish people together with the leader of the Romans are working together to try to make sure that the body of Jesus is secure. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. This is, this is tricky. There's two different ways you can take this sentence. It could be an imperative, like he's saying, okay, here's a guard, take them and go. Or he's saying, you already have a guard, like you've got the temple police who are stationed by Rome, so you can take them and go. We're not really sure either way, but either way, he is allowing for Roman soldiers, whether it's for the temple guard or whether it's others, to go with 
or to go with the Jewish leaders to go out and to establish that the grave is secure. Now mark these words. If you underline your Bible, underline these words because this is the point. Look at what they do. Go make it as secure. How secure? As secure as you can. That's the point. How secure can you make it? Go do that. Let's see the extent of your strength, the extent of your power. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing it, by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So a little wax seal, that'll keep Jesus in. We got, a, we got a big stone and we got some soldiers. We got this. You're supposed to laugh, guys. This is like, this is like, this is, this is so profoundly pathetic. Verse one, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, uh, uh, where we get the word seismic activity, seismos. So the, word, the, the world is shaken here. Why? Why? Look at this. There's another little word. Here's a good one to underline. The logic matters of the text. Why was there an earthquake? Because for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. We don't typically think that way, right? An angel shows up, so there's an earthquake. That's a, that's a flax. <laughs> He's just showing up on the scene like, I'm here. Boom, earthquakes. Stone is rolled away. Look at how this is described. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. Matthew didn't have to include those words. Why did he include those words? Hey guys, what's up? I'm just camping out on the stone that you thought was going to hold the grave secure. I'm sitting on it. He's just got his feet up. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled. Here's the, here's the funny thing. It's the same word as earthquaking. <laughs> They're quaking. They're quaking. They trembled and became like dead men. I got an idea. Let's get some guards. Let's get some soldiers. Station them outside the grave. Some strong men with weapons. They'll be strong. And the strong men can guard the dead man. But here's the irony. The dead man gets up and walks out. And they're laying there like dead men. Not even because they've seen Jesus. It's just one of his angels. One. Remember Jesus in the garden? When the tough temple guards showed up and they came to arrest him with clubs? And he's like, I could call on legions. Tens of thousands of angels could be here like that. One of them shows up and all the guard fall down like dead men. Jesus' armies, guys, listen, Jesus' armies are stronger. So much stronger than any powers of this world. It's like lightning, white as snow, pure. And for fear of him, the guards trembled, became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, I love this, strong men. And then there's these women and the angel's like, don't fear. And they're fine. <laughs> I love this. I love this. The women are fine. The soldiers are dead. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. Why? Again, the logic matters. Why do they not need to be afraid? Because I know that you seek Jesus. You're on the right team. You're looking for Jesus. You're looking in the wrong place because he's not in the grave, but you're looking for Jesus. You're on the right side. He's not here. He was crucified, but he's not here now. He's risen. Mark these words, as he said. As he says what he said. He hasn't done anything different than what he already told you so many times he was going to do. He would be crucified and on the third day rise, he told you. 
The whole story of human history is God just said, guys, I told you so. Like I told you I was going to do this. Here at the, at the resurrection, the stone is rolled away. Jesus is already gone. The angel says, guys, you just got to believe. The power of God is shown in the fulfillment of every one of his words. From creation, when he spoke and all things began. From the moment light first shone, his word will be done. And there is no question. He wants them to know it for sure. So he says, come, see the place where he lay. Christians are not afraid of evidence. <laughs> come, have a look. See what's true. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. Okay? End of story. Go. Get on your way. And they are going to go. All this is according to plan and prediction. Jesus has fulfilled his word to the letter, to the syllable. You know what else? You know what else God has said? He said that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. As the waters cover the sea. He's already made the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. There is no escaping this reality. He has said it. He will do it. He's also told us, his people, that anything we ask for in his name, to believe that we have received it. He's called us to pray in boldness, in faith. It has to cause us to pause and to ponder the goodness and the greatness of the God who created everything. He's conquered the very last enemy, death itself. He has said that a day will come when the heavens will be opened and his angels, not just one, his angels will sound trumpets and he will appear and all his people from every corner of the globe will be gathered up to him. He will accomplish every word he has said. Do you believe it? Do you ponder it? Do you lay that truth over what you are experiencing in your life right now? Friends, the resurrection means that we can trust his promises and we can glory in it. This morning, we can rejoice in it. We can praise God because he is good. He is powerful. He is great. But listen, there are things sometimes that stop us from thinking about the glory of his power, stop us from glorying in his power, right? There's all kinds of things. Here's, here's one of them. One of them is the reality that his power doesn't often work the way we would like it to work. So instead of seeing simply his power revealed in him fulfilling his word, we want to see his power revealed in him fulfilling our word. And then when it's not, we despair that maybe he's not as powerful as we thought. Or at the very least, we just don't want to think about it. But we need to contemplate this reality too in light of the cross. Those of us who are glorying in his power, glory in his power, also glorying in his goodness and his wisdom, knowing that we never would have ordained the cross. We never would have thought of anything so good. And we never would have planned anything so terrible for someone that we love. But his goodness and his wisdom work together with his power. 
so that our God unlimited in power is bound to his goodness and his wisdom. But we know his purposes are good. We know his plan is right. And our call is simply not to correct him, but to trust him and to glory in the working of his power regardless of the circumstances of our life. But there's another reason why you might not glory in his power, and it's because you're not right with him. And the notion of the heavens splitting open and the God of the universe descending and your heart likewise being opened up and your life exposed before him does not bring you pleasure or joy. It does not cause you to glory in him, but to turn in fear. My friend, today, the day of the resurrection, put your trust in Jesus. Here is one who died for sinners and rose to save us, to wash us clean so that we can glory in the goodness of his power. We glory in his power. Here's the second thing we do with the resurrection. We worship the risen king. This is, this is another one of these simple ones. These are not profound points this morning. Just looking at the text. What do the people do? They worship the risen king. And we need to understand this by way of background. The Israelites, the Jewish people, are fierce monotheists. There's one thing that they're supposed to recount to themselves all the time. It's what? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. They have one God. To worship anything else other than God would be a sin. But they know that. And they worship Jesus. Which has implications for our understanding of who Jesus is. He is God, worthy of our worship. Verse 8, they departed. The women departed quickly from the tomb, just like they were told, with fear and great joy. And here's, here's a remarkable thing. We, we usually tend to think of joy and fear as separate things. Like you can't be truly joyful if you're also at the same time gripped with fear. But these things are coexisting. And I was thinking about this week and it struck me. There's, there's an experience that we have in life where, we, um, where we're afraid of failure, right? We all know what that is, to be afraid of failure. But there's also an experience that many of us have, which is um, equally, if not more, gripping, which is fear of success. Like, fear that things are actually going the right way. Um, oh, shoot, what's happening? Like, I had a plan, and things are actually working, <laughs> And these women who've just gone from this moment of like, everything is a disaster. We put our hopes in Jesus and now he's crucified. He's buried. We thought the kingdom was coming. Now the kingdom looks like it's been stopped. What's actually going to happen? Their hopes have all been dashed. But in this one moment, everything turns. So now it's like, oh my goodness, it's actually happening. The thing that we had bared, dare, we had <laughs> barely dared even to dream is actually happening. And there's fear and there's joy, there's excitement. They ran and they tell the disciples, to, to tell the disciples, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, and again, this is one of those, like, this is amazing. Jesus is like, hey, <laughs> it's, it's, this is the simplest and most common of greetings. This is like, hey guys, what's up? Like, they're running, everything's happening, and the resurrected Jesus is just like, hi. <laughs> what? The power of understatement. <laughs> They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. I, I wonder, like, you ever see those videos of soldiers coming home, surprising their family? Uh, those videos, those are all like, like real tearjerkers, right? And the, so some, some of the best ones are ones where the guy's just like standing there and they don't know he's going to be there like in a crowd or something like that. And all of a sudden they realize who it is and immediately, this is, this is, this is Jesus just like, hi. I can, I can just picture it in my head. What? What? 
and they fall down and they grab onto his feet and they worship him. Look what Jesus says. Again, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Just, just like he had told them, he'll, he'll show up in Galilee. Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. Do you remember the last time Jesus interacted with his disciples? They all left him and fled. The last time he saw Peter, they made eye contact across the garden as Peter was in the middle of calling down curses of God on himself. I don't know him. Go and tell my brothers. <laughs> I'm coming to see them. Why would they worship him? Death is defeated. The promise of Genesis 3 has come true. The serpent's head has been crushed. They do not need to fear the judgment to come. Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, said, it is finished. And the echo of that, the amen of that, is God raising him from the dead. We can overcomplicate things sometimes. Why would you worship Jesus? Well, if, uh, if Austin Matthews, uh, I was going to use a Raptors analogy, but it's a bad day for that, right? If Austin Matthews uh, walked in here today, I mean, he's pretty good at scoring goals. I don't like the team, but he's pretty good at scoring goals. If he came in here, probably if you were going to talk to him, you might want to ask him something about hockey or say, hey, like, you're pretty good at scoring goals. When someone is legitimately great, it's like just easy to acknowledge, right? Jesus just conquered death. The one who is dead is alive. The only appropriate response is worship because of his greatness, but also because of his gentleness and lowliness. He could lord it over these people. He could say, hey, I was in my moment of greatest need. Where were you? He could guilt them. He could say, hey, you know what sucks? Dying on a cross. Thanks, guys. Not a word. He appears, greets his sisters, sends greetings to his brothers. Jesus, who proclaimed he was gentle and lowly in his earthly ministry, still, still maintains a heart of humility and kindness to his people. You know the scariest moment in any relationship, right? Like when you're trying to establish a relationship and you, you, you know, you, you try to, you know, put on your best clothes and do your best makeup and like, you know, do everything the right way and, and the relationship's building and everything's going good. But like the scariest moment is, is when you legit just mess up. You're, you're not at your best. You've done something terrible. It's, it's been discovered. It's been seen. You've been exposed, whatever it is. And, and the terror of that moment is, will this person turn away from me? Are they done with me? Are they going to reject me? In this moment, the disciples and the women have all committed their greatest evil in that their sins have been put on Jesus and he died in their place. But Jesus speaks words of peace, of affection, of familial love. He welcomes them. Friends, do we worship the risen king? Like We worship the risen king as if he was here. If you fast forward a few verses... Jesus is going to say this to us. He's going to say, I am with you always to the end of the age. And if you go backwards just a few chapters, you'll remember what he said. 
He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. In a very special sense, when we gather Sunday by Sunday, like this morning, and when we do baptism, and we open God's word, Jesus is here. It's not just the people around you that get to hear you singing. It's the resurrected Christ. Do we worship him as the one who is here? Do we worship him as the one who goes with us? in our workplace, in our homes, in our relationships, in our private chat messages, do we worship Jesus as King? We glory in his power. The worship of the risen King is the natural response and all of that will help us to do this last thing, which is this. This is what we do with the resurrection. We right-size the opposition. <laughs> right-size the opposition. Merriam-Webster says right-sizing just means this, to reduce something to an optimal size. It's technical, right? You know, reduce something to an optimal size. It, 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 we, we have this um, ability as humans to get things wrong, either one way or the other. Some people are just like always consumed with doomsday scenarios. Everything's going to go bad. And other people just don't even know that doom is a word. And they're like, everything's going to go great. And so we, we can sometimes look at our enemies and the reality of opposition in the world and be divided into the two camps, right? Some people thinking this is, this is dark, it's heavy, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. And, and the other people are like, oh, it's great, the gospel is going forward. Forward and Jesus is going to come back. We need to right size in our minds our conception of the opposition. Verse 11 while they were going, some of the guard went into the city. I always wonder about that. Some of the guard, like, this is, this is funny as a parent, right? When, when like, the kids decide, decide to send a delegation, like, which kid they send to go, like, talk to the parents, tell them, oh, by the way, we broke, you know, the TV, or, like, not that's ever happened in our home, uh, although it has. Um, or, like, maybe go ask if they can drive us to Sky Zone or something. Like, like they, they pick whatever kid they think is going to have the best chance with the parents, right? And I always wonder, like, how do those conversations go down? I wonder what the guards, like, which one, they're all looking around, and I guess when they're not like dead men anymore they can like look at each other okay you go I think maybe it was the guys that like didn't have to go change their pants like they had to go home first these guys go in to go talk to the chief priest go explain what's happened here they go to the chief priest to tell them all that had taken place verse 12 and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel that sounds ominous or used to, used to remember they took counsel together before Jesus was crucified it was ominous and then they put them to death they did their worst now what are they going to do? Take all the counsel you want. The power's gone. They assembled the elders and they took counsel. What are we going to do now? They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. That would take a lot of money because here's the thing. For a soldier to fall asleep and lose the prisoner like this, if that's actually the story they're going with, meant that he could be put to death for his failure, his dereliction of his duty. So if, if I'm going to go along with that story that, yeah, I fell asleep, then you've got to give me a sufficient sum of money because my life's on the line. But they've got big money, apparently. Big money. More, pro probably more than they gave Judas. Let's put it that way. They give a sufficient money, a sum of money to the soldiers. Verse 13. And they said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. That was the thing that they didn't want to happen. That's why they hired the guard in the first place. Now that's their best recourse. Let's circle back around to the first thing. So verse 14 and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him. In other words, we got more money to throw at this thing. Which I imagine, if you're trying to bribe Pilate, this is not going to be small. We'll satisfy him, and we'll keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, 
And they did as they were directed. The word is they did as they were taught. This is the word that describes the teaching of Jesus, the teaching that's passed on to the disciples. They, they did as they were taught. The, the, the picture is simple. There's one group of disciples and another group of disciples. These ones are going to do as they were taught. These ones are going to do as they were taught. Which side are you on? Which teaching do you buy into? This story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This, this is just a description of Psalm 2, or, or playing out of Psalm 2 again, right? Which is, which is all of human history. It's the reality that, that the nations take counsel together. They conspire together against the Lord and against his anointed to do their worst. But do you remember? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The gospel's moving forward. The king is risen. The church is gathering. The proclamation will go forward. They're, they're left trying to put together the pieces of their own little kingdom and patch it up for what it is. Here's what R.T. France says, how he, you know, he describes this scene. He says, Jesus' opponents held all the cards of earthly power. You understand that, right? They had all the cards of earthly power including access to the Roman governor. But despite all their efforts, they could not contain the Son of God. They will be last seen. This is the last time they appear in the narrative of the gospel. They will be last seen arranging a lying cover-up story. But by then, Jerusalem and the temple, everything that they were all so excited to protect, by then, Jerusalem will have become irrelevant to Matthew's story. The risen Jesus will be back in Galilee, commissioning his restored followers to begin a triumphant mission to all nations, which will last to the end of time. The story's moving on. Oh, guys, what are we going to do now? The whole of the gospel of Matthew has told us that this kingdom can't be stopped. Remember when Jesus was a baby and Herod the Great tried to kill him? Couldn't catch him as a baby. The religious leaders tried to catch him in his words. They couldn't do it. They came up with deceptive challenges, worked the court system, managed to get Jesus on a cross to put him to death. And all they did was crown him with glory and honor and resurrection life. Make no mistake, the rulers and authorities of this world still have power. Money, politics, numbers, mass media, Take your pick. They have all the influence and all the earthly power. Christians have been persecuted and will be persecuted until the return of Jesus. But all the power that these worldly authorities have, it's just the power of deception and death. All their power is just... It's just a temple guard mall cop to a soldier of Jesus Christ. It's just the power of darkness over against light. Just the power of death against a resurrection life. It's, it's shadow to substance. It's appearance to actuality. Our king is the one with all the power. And the outcome, the outcome is secure. So what, is this, what does this all mean for us as individuals, as a community, as I try to grapple with the realities of life in a fallen world? It means that our enemies are real. 
Darkness is deep and strong and death still exists in this fallen world. The power of death is real and present. and We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The opposition we face as a church, the opposition that the capital C church faces in Canada and in the world is not a battle against flesh and blood. But we know the king who wins and we're on his side. And the words of the angels and the resurrected Christ echo down through the ages and come to us and say, do not be afraid the power, the real power, the resurrection power is on our side. So all of our enemies can shrink immediately to their appropriate size. The one who is real, the one who is indestructible, the one who is unstoppable, all-powerful, the one who is all life and all beauty and all goodness and all truth, he lives. And through our faith in him, we live in him. We glory in the power of our resurrected king and we worship him with all of our hearts and we walk in obedience and faith in the face of all opposition, knowing that the outcome is secure and our risen king reigns. Let's pray.